What's up, footy fans? Welcome to the sixth episode of Backyard Footy, brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network of Podcasts. That's bgn.fm on the internet. You can also follow them on Twitter at the bgn.fm. I have my featured guests here with me, Matthew Delacott, a.k.a. Deli, and Nate Schiffman. A little background on us. Nate went to VCU, I went to George Mason, so we played against each other three of the four years. We, I think my junior, our junior year, he transferred to the A-10, and I was still in the CAA, so we didn't play each other that year. But then we transferred to the A-10, and we played against each other then. Till this day, I probably had the, crazy, the craziest and greatest college game ever against Nate in the semifinals of the A-10. We ended up winning 3-2 to two in overtime, but still to this day, it was the craziest game ever. I don't know if you remember that. That was crazy. That was crazy. So then his first year as a pro, he went to OKC Energy. I was on Richmond at the time. We went out to OKC, beat them, I believe, 3-1. But it was awesome seeing him progress in his career as well. And we've been boys ever since. Deli and I played together for three years in Richmond. We were always battling with each other in practice, talking trash daily. He still thinks he's the best in the air out of both of us. But (laughs) he made me better on and off the field. So I really appreciate everything. Learning from one of the legends of the game as a young rookie in the game, it was impactful in many ways. So we've all hung out a bunch of times in the off season. So without further ado, I welcome my featured guests, Deli and Nate. What's up, fellas? How's everything? Good, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. Of course. Thanks for coming on the show. So how you guys been enjoying Richmond these days? You guys still go to Kickers games? Yeah, yeah. We um, we still go out to the games. It's always obviously great to go support the team and and see you know all, all the friends and uh, and the fans. So. Um, Deli, Deli's been doing the commentary too. So yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> it's actually a lot harder than it looks. Since um, when? So, yeah, I've tried to, I've dabbled in it a little bit, and um, it's 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 actually a lot harder than it, than it than it sounds. Do they prepare you beforehand, like give you notes and things to talk about? Or you're really just commentating free flowing kind of. You have notes, so I mean, uh, you have a layout of the you know of every player, and you got little stats and different things to bring up. Um, obviously, knowing the game and the team is, is useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, when it's live like that, you know, kind of off the cuff makes it, um, you know, a little nerve-wracking. Are you guys still coaching for the kickers? I have I have one team. Uh, so I take it back just a little bit, just, you know, with time running a new business and having kids and stuff. So just do one team, and it's the same night my boys go out and train, so it works out. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was coaching a youth team, and I was playing, and then, kind of faded um, away from that. I loved it, obviously, when I was, when I was doing it, but it's just, you know, the time. So. Right, right. So how does it feel to be done playing for you guys? What was that like, that moment you guys decided to hang up the boots? Well, I mean, for me, it was, um, I think once I hit my 30s, you start thinking about when's the right time going to be, and it was, it was really tough for me to, there were several years where I just didn't feel like it was the right time, and Right. Uh, and this this particular year, I was just kind of at peace with it, and I was ready to, to do it. At, you know, it was after 13 years. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I, was, I obviously had a different career than Delhi, right? Hundred goals, I had like three. <laughs> um, no, but I, I think the thing I missed most was just being obviously like you know being around the team, like right. you know, having relationships, like you know me and you and us doing this thing right now. I mean, that's can't replace that. So I missed that. I missed the locker room, and then just like little things like five v two before training, like small sided, all that stuff. You know, I miss a lot. So. Yeah, I feel you. I know exactly what you mean. So, Nate, let's start with you. So, you're from Richmond, right? How'd you kind of get involved with soccer? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm the youngest of, of four, and I I mean, they were all playing when I was growing up, so I played soccer my whole life, and um, it was good for me because I was always playing with people older than me, so mm-hmm. that helped me a lot. They always pushed me, my parents always pushed me, and so I was kind of always the little guy and had to kind of prove myself. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was it was really hard. I wasn't like the most athletic player, uh, but kind of like I said, kept kept pushing and kept improving myself and. I mean, I was shooting for going to schools like UVA, UNC, and these really high end schools, and they basically said, "Yeah, you're not like good enough, athletic enough." So, um, I got pretty lucky with with Gift coming to VCU and recruiting me. Um, otherwise, I would have been to, I would have gone to U of R and probably been a <laughs> uh, I got pretty lucky there. Um, we had a really, really good team. Um, as you know, we kind of you know had some good battles in college together. Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, had a had a good career at VCU, and then, you know, obviously, um, you know, played OKC for a year, and then came back to Richmond to kind of play as well as finish my degree. So no, it was, it was really good, and I mean, I've been in Richmond my whole life. So yeah. So did you play club or academy? Was Richmond an academy back then? Yeah, I played. So growing up, I played for FC Richmond, and okay. that was like this the club that really is focused on like technical development and stuff like that, which is kind of like what I'm best at. And and then I went to play for Richmond Strikers, and I was actually I kind of I switched from the FC to the Strikers as um, the first year that the DA was like I guess founded. Um, so I played for Strikers DA, um, and then yeah, so it was good. So but, then you were also part of the regional team, right? In '06, that went to France. I think I know some of the boys from my area that are on the team, right? How was that experience for you? coming out of middle school, right, and going into high school at the time? Yeah, I was a freshman. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I got selected. So it was actually interesting, because, I mean, I was playing ODP. Everyone played ODP back then. Mm-hmm. ODP was, like, the thing to do. And so, I mean, I remember kind of always being on the cusp of making it, but I was, I was like I said, I was always kind of the guy that was just on the edge, like, just barely not good enough. Um, so when I made it, it was like a big accomplishment to be in the fifth top 50 in the region. And then I got kind of lucky because there was like a national team thing going on at the same time the regional team was selected. So I was kind of an alternate that got selected because there were some guys that freed up. Like I think Alex Herrera was yeah. playing with the national teams, like it was some other guys. And so, um, yeah, I mean, I got selected. I went over with Travis yep. um, Pittman and... So it was a good time, really good experience. Maybe play like PSG's youth team. Um, yeah, I mean, when you're wow. that young and you get to go overseas and get that experience, is like especially an American kid, yeah. it's kind of you you learn a lot. So it was, it was really valuable. Were there any stars in the team? You said PSG, right? Were, were there any stars that are playing now? Yeah, I don't remember honestly. Yeah. There probably was, <laughs> but I, I don't remember. So then you were district player of the year in high school, first team all state. How did you kind of get recruited from there? What was your thought process? Yeah, I mean, you know, I went, I kind of just basically wrote a list of schools down that I thought I was good enough to play at. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I kind of overshot, or at least maybe back then, I, you know, I kind of shot for more like the ACC, like yeah. West Virginia, like these big schools, and that's where I wanted to play. And when I didn't get any offers, it kind of like put me back a little bit. So then, you know, I was looking at some mid-majors. I'll tell a little story. I mean, I was basically Dayton wanted to 
to sign me or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that was like junior year, and I was like, I don't want to sign to kind of a school. Not nothing against Dayton, but yeah. it's not a school that I would wanted to have commit to early junior yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah. So I turned it down, and then I had nothing, nothing, nothing. It was January of my senior year. I called the head coach. I remember going out to my backyard. I was like freaking out because I was so nervous. I called the head coach. I was like, Hey, this is Nate Shipman. I'd, I'd love. I know I've been kind of dragging my feet, but I'd love to play for your school. And he basically was like, Sorry, it's too late. Wow. So yeah, I mean, it was it was crazy. So January happened, and I was I was actually really close to closing with U of R or mm-hmm. signing with U of R. Um, they offered me like a partial scholarship. Um, and then that's like this, honestly, like the same week they offered that, um, Gifford came out to one of our practices mm-hmm. at Richmond Strikers. He called me up the next day. I went on a tour with him at BCU. He sold me on everything. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of how it happened. Damn, so it's that's pretty crazy. That's awesome. I remember he was recruiting me as well, not really recruiting me. VCU was, but this is before GIF. And I was like, who's VCU? If I would have known now, honestly, I probably would have gone to VCU over Mason, but yeah, he wasn't there at the time, and VCU wasn't as strong as him, and he kind of just changed the whole program around. Yeah, to give you some idea, like, the team only had 12 players this spring before I went. Oh, like, wow. Like, everyone quit. Like, they gotcha. had, I mean, the team was in absolute shambles. You can ask, like, guys like Owusu. Yeah. Like, like Joey Habush. Like, it was in shambles. And so when Gif came in, um, he, he had, like, a recruiting class that was me, like, JJ, Bowie, mm. like, all these, you know, really, really good players. Yeah. Um, like it was like 10 of us and that kind of built the foundation like yo-yo came in that year too from Akron yeah so we kind of built the foundation for the team going you know forward and we went from like basically a team of 12 that I wasn't on that team but that fall to being a top 25 program like for the next you know three years after that yeah made NCAA tournaments so yeah I mean we had a good a really good team um, like my junior my junior senior year so how was that transition from you from now going from high school, you did well, and now you're in college? I know you didn't play too, too much your freshman year, but how was that transition for you? Yeah, I mean, it was it was definitely faster. Um, like everyone, it's just like, it's kind of like when you play that first game on like when you're a freshman playing varsity high school. Right. Like back when high school is cool. Uh, <laughs> um, but, you know, the speed of play was quicker. It was a lot more physical. Um I played, I actually, like, got an assist my first game, so I was like, oh, this is going to be great, and then, um, you know, Bowie kind of stepped up, he, he, him and Lucas were playing together, and they were, like, really, really good. Paulini? Yeah, Lucas was, I mean, he was one of the best D-bids, like, in the country at the time, he's unbelievable, and so that, that was good learning experience, I kind of learned from people like Lucas above me, um, but but it really kind of set the stage for the remaining three years. It was like you got to make a decision. You're either going to step up and kind of win your spot or you're going to just not. So I had a conversation with the coaching staff after that year. That was pretty much that conversation. It's like either you're going you're gonna to take it and you're going to succeed or there's other guys that are coming, like, to recruiting. Like, we had next, uh, Mario coming in from Mexico. Mm. He's an unbelievable player. Like, we had Jose that was from Guatemala. He was a Guatemalan national team player that was really good. Um, so, we had really, really good center mids. So, it was pretty much, like, do or die for me. And luckily, I had some, like, people like Yo kind of help me out along the way to, right. you know, give me inspiration and motivation to, to kind of step up. Um, but it was a lot of work. Like, it wasn't just... Like, it was a lot of sacrifice. I did a lot of work. Of course. 
So after your freshman year, you're pretty much a full-time starter, leading VCU to two NCAA appearances, as you said, eight ten championship final. How was that whole college experience for you, and how did that impact your career? Yeah, I mean, I can't really, like, describe, like, the camaraderie we had with our group. Yeah. Um, I think that was the biggest thing that I took out of the entire, like, college experience, which is how close we were. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I, I mean, I... I've never been part of a group that was like that, like, and that had that type of, I have your back on the field type thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's just for me and you asking that question, that's the only thing that like stands out. Um, you know, off the field stuff, you know, normal student athlete of course, you know, stuff, of just, t- just getting your stuff done. I mean, I was a good student, but overall, those are the things I remember, um, and kind of still being super, super close with all those, all those guys. Yeah, I mean, that's very important. That's kind of how we were my senior year. Literally, we had eight or nine seniors, and all eight of us lived in a house together off campus, and we were just brothers, and everyone else kind of fit into the system because it started with us as a senior class. And that's the main reason why we won that senior year. And our yeah. senior year is because there's eight seniors, and we all were just like brothers on the field. So I know exactly what you mean. Mm-hmm. So with the USL growing and kids turning pro, I don't know if you've guys seen that 15-year-old out in L.A. who's doing really well and just killing it. All these 17-year-olds are now in the USL. Would you, if you could do it again, would you kind of go to the college route or would you now go straight to the pros now that the USL is growing a little bit? A great question. Um, I mean, I think it depends, right? I think it completely depends on the type of player you are kind of if you need that extra, like, I probably needed that, like, physicality factor yeah. to, like, kind of toughen me up a bit before the pro game. The pro game. Um, I don't think that I would have been ready to jump into a USL game when I was 18, right. but yeah. I was 110% confident when I graduated that I could. Yeah. So, but I think having said that, like, if I was training with, like, an MLS reserve team, USL reserve team from age 16 to, like, 1920, I think that would have also helped me a lot. So, I I don't know. That's a really good question. Um, I think it depends on a lot of the things that are, like, missing with each player specifically. Right. If that makes sense. Um, But, but yeah, and for me, like, you know me, I I was, I had to be around players that could, like, make things happen. Like, I'm a glue guy. Like, I connect dots. Yeah. And, like, I have to have players around me that can, like, that are are really good in order for me to be, like, effective, if that makes sense. So I can't be, like, the one guy, like, the JJ or, like, the goal scorer, like, the Ronaldo, right? So, um so I would have to be on a team. Like, I couldn't go to a team in the MLS or USL right off from, from 16 that didn't play that style of soccer. Like, yeah. it would have to be very, like, possession-oriented um, type type soccer, which we were at VCU, which is why it suited me. Mm-hmm. So. so after college, after your successful all four years pretty much, were you on the draft board or anything? What, what was kind of your process after college? And I don't know if you got invited to any combines or what were you kind of thinking? Yeah, I mean, I just knew I wanted to play, so, um, I mean, I just talked to GIF, and there's a couple combines that I went to, I went to a couple tryouts, and, I mean, I went to, like, you know, typical combine that everyone signs up for, there's coaches there that are probably not paying attention, Um, which one? I had, I had one, like, amazing goal, and then, like, that was, like, it was, like, a really, really nice goal, and I played well, I got selected to, like, the top group of the combine, and we played against, like, the youth national team there. Um, was that well. an info sport? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think me and you were on the same team together that year, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
The worst combine ever, bro. Ever. I've never heard a word from them since. It's, it's terrible. And, and to be fair, like, I don't even know if that even kind of uh, helped me. Like, I mean, I just hear what my, like, coach gets kind of told me. And he had a call from a coach that I think already knew about me on the radar. And he just said really good things. And yeah. it's like, you know... So I don't I don't know like if that helped me or not, but either way it was still a good experience I guess. So how'd you kind of end up on OKC that year? Jim, Jimmy Nielsen was the coach at the time. He called he called uh, Coach Gifford and you know Giff kind of vouched me basically saying you you're gonna get the same player like every day like Nate's a, a good kid he's gonna work hard he's gonna be like a really good teammate like you're gonna get the same out of him every day so I think it's like a less of a risk to get a player like me and kind of more of like, okay, this guy's going to, you know, be the same. I can trust him. So yeah, uh, I think he said positive things. And then, um, yeah, I think, you know, Jimmy just kind of took a chance. He actually was at the, Jimmy was at the info sport and uh, he did say he saw that goal that I was talking about. But I think that might've been like, you know, he's like, Oh wow. That was, you know, nice. Who was that kid? So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So what was that first year? Like now that you're a professional actually getting paid to do what you love? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, like, if I'm just being completely honest, like, I'm, like, a super practical dude. Like, for me to actually attain attain that, like, from being four to, like, being in first grade when I said I wanted to be a professional soccer player, my teacher literally saying that's not a career path. <laughs> right. She's like, you can't choose that. That's not an actual, like, job. So, like, from, <laughs> that's a true story. So, like, from going to that to actually, like, doing it is, is pretty cool. And that was kind of my thing of, like, always having to prove people wrong, like, being right on the fringe of being good enough. So, like, that was, like, a huge weight off my shoulders. And then not only that, like, playing my first game and scoring mm-hmm. and starting after being, like, you know, probably bottom three players on the team going into preseason. So it's, like, it's been like that through my whole life. Right. Like, I always have to prove myself. I'm always, like, kind of in the underdog Right. So, um, no, I mean, I remember getting the first paycheck and I was like, this is the, the greatest thing ever. I'm getting, paid, I'm getting paid to play soccer. Uh, but at the same time, like you have to look in the future and be like, OK, this is amazing. But like if I'm not getting paid, like how you know people are getting paid in Europe, then there's there's not that much light at the end of the tunnel for yeah. me at the time. Um, because I wasn't getting paid as much as like the top end guys. Of course. So um, that's kind of. Like, I didn't feel that way initially, but then as the years went on, I kind of started to feel a little bit more pressure on kind of what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Because then I wasn't playing as much. I played a, played actually a decent amount of OKC. Um, you know, it was kind of off and on starting and then, you know, had some goals, so it was good. So, we all obviously, we know this game's a business and they ended up not re-signing. What was your contract, like a year and an option out there in OKC at the time? Yeah. It was just a year, um, but it was it was interesting. Like, and this is kind of what you learn too, being in this world. Um, truthfully, like in just real life, real life business, is that you can't really like bank on what people tell you. You just and so what happened was I was playing really well, um, you know, and I, I I was under the impression based off conversations I had that I was going to get resigned. So. And that's, like, number one mistake. Like, never think that everything's, you know, there, right? Yeah. So um, I kind of, you know, I told my family. I told my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, you know, this is going to be great. I'm playing well. And then hopefully they'll give me more money. And I love it here. It's been great. Like, it's, the guys are great. And so 
then you go to the end of the year meeting and it's like they're not going to assign you so then you look like an ass mm-hmm. um, and so I kind of had uh, it was kind of a big wake up call and then I yeah I was like the only other option right now is to go back to Richmond oh. and I did, I did kind of shop around some other teams but it just made the most sense to to come back to like my hometown and yeah. finish out my degree because I left a year early um, or semester early so um, probably year. Like a blessing in the sky is what I look at it, honestly. Right. Did Lee contact you? How did you, or did you contact Lee? I, I actually contacted Lee. I mean, I told him I was coming back and I'd love to play on the team, and he was, you know, very open to it. So I came into preseason, and um, and yeah, that's so uh, that's how I got signed. And how good did it feel to be back in your hometown team playing for the squad that you basically grew up watching when you were a little boy, and now here you are on the kickers? Yeah, I mean, what's crazy is that I have a Ball signed by Delhi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I have. It's funny. Like I have, I have. You can go to my attic. I have like little kickers balls signed by Lee. Like uh, one of my biggest mentors growing up was Josh McKay. Um, he actually coached my brother's team when I was like, I don't know, six, seven. And he, at FC Richmond, he would let me play with them, and I was like seven, and they were like fourteen. Right. Um, he would like he was a huge, huge mentor to me. Um, so I'm always really, really, really appreciative of him. I always think about him a lot. Um, so he he was obviously playing in the kickers um, when I was a really young like young kid. He even came to like my birthday party. So like those things are really cool. Like, yeah. If guys are playing right now and they're like they see a you know five year old kid, six year old kid. Like for me when I was that that age, I looked to, like, up to them like they were heroes. Right. So, kind of being on the other end, other side of it was really interesting. Um, like, my mom, she was a volunteer for the Kickers from, like, oh, wow. 10 years. So, she worked up in the press box and helped, like, serve food and help greet people. Um, so, I remember watching, like, the games, like, I was on the edge, like, glued into the games, or I would be, like, kind of on the concourse playing, like, kicking the ball around with my friends. So, mm-hmm. it's kind of cool to have it go full circle a little bit. Um, like after the game, you know, you're signing autographs to kids that kind of like were you. Right. Same stadium. So it was kind of, you know, it was really good. And then obviously like having your family and parents and friends being able to come watch you and kind of cheer for you. So that's always good. That's awesome, bro. So we'll get back to your amazing business opportunity in a little while, but I'm glad you had something that worked out for you after your career was done. We're kind of, we're the same age. So, you know, you tend to think that you're going to be playing for a while and then, you know, there's a business in this world. So you prepared yourself for life after your career, and now look where you are. Like I said, we'll talk about that in the future a little bit, but I'm glad everything worked out for you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So, Delhi, on to you now. How, so, you grew up in Wales and started playing semi-pro when you were 17, right? Yeah, I actually grew up in Kent, England for okay. about five years, and then moved over. So, that's where I was kind of started playing football, soccer. Um, moved to Ireland, to Limerick. Lived there for about two years. Um, didn't really like, wasn't really very happy there, didn't like the opportunities I was getting and ended up moving to Wales when I was 14. Oh, okay. Um, it's funny, I just came back from Ireland and Wales yesterday and I drove by my old house and this is where I would have practiced, you know, every single day and I had basically a shed um, with a door and that was like my goal and it was kind of on a hill, much smaller than I remember, I thought it was a big open field, it was pretty small, on a hill and that was like where I put all my time in with the ball. So it was mm-hmm. just funny kind of going back to those roots. So explain to us kind of how the systems run run over there overseas in comparison to how it's run over here in America. Yeah, I mean, the, the huge difference was that 
if you wanted to make it as a pro, um, going to university, going to college was never really the the route to go. Gotcha. Like you were you were trying to hook up, you were trying to go on trials, hook up with a team. Like I was playing with Cardiff and Swansea uh, youth programs. Um, I was started to go on trials at like 16, 17. I was going to uh, Plymouth Argyle, Tranmere Rovers. I was supposed to go wow. to Man City at some point, um, just on, on like trials and tryouts. And, um, you know, you're trying to get a team by the time you're 18, basically. Yeah. Um, or, if, or if you're in the youth program of a club, you're hoping to get a pro contract by the time you turn 18 or 19. Right. Um, so university was like a backup for me. I was I wanted to be a pro. That was where I was focusing my energy. And uh, if that failed, I was going to go to university and get a degree. Um, as it turned out, I was playing for the Welsh under-18 squad, schoolboys, and um, and I started playing in the League of Wales. And that's where Ted Jones, the assistant for VCU, found me. Mm. Offered me a scholarship to come out, and he can he flew over and saw you play. He did, yeah. He wow. he was following me. It was actually my my debut for Carmarthen Town in the League of Wales. And on the very same weekend, I was supposed to go to Holland to do an international triple jump event. So I also did track and field. Wow! And it was like kind of a pivotal moment because it was like a, one of these is going to have to kind of take over forefront. And I picked the the game, and I ended up scoring a hat-trick, and that's where he read about me and found out about me, and then I think he kept tabs on me and then contacted me later in the season, came over to watch me play, and within about three or four months, I was on a, I was two suitcases, and I was in Richmond. Uh, wow. had, I'd never never visited, never heard of the NCAA, didn't know <laughs> what college soccer was. Like, it was huge culture shock, and um, took me a good six to 12 months to kind of adjust, but then... After that, it, it went really well. So how'd you kind of, uh, you know, you said he obviously came over and offered you full scholarship and things, but, like, why VCU of all places? I'm not sure if you had any other options or anything. Or... No, I didn't, I, had no, I didn't even look into any other options. It was basically my options were, like, coming to the USA was so far off the radar before Ted Jones contacted me. It wasn't even, never even a thought. Um so it was, at that point, after Ted contacted me, it was basically, I'm going to go to BCU, move out there in August, or I'm going to continue playing in the League of Wales, trying to get, on, you know, latch onto a pro club. Right. Um, and then after, you know, some thought and talking to my family and friends, I decided to come out to the States. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. So looking back on your career now, how did those first two years in Wales kind of help propel your career to, you know, where you are now in the future? I was, I was playing with men by the time I was 15. Right. So I was playing on, like, amateur men's teams. Uh, Newcastle, Emlyn, thirds, and I got moved up to the first team. So at 16, I was playing with, with a men's team, and I think I scored about 45 goals, and we had a great season. Wow. Um, and, you know, that was back when you played, like, 40 games in a season. So... Uh, and then I got moved up to Carmarthen Town, which was the top league in Wales at the time. And I had a, a pretty good rookie season. I scored some goals, and you know I started um, getting noticed by a few clubs, and obviously by Ted. So um, those few years were obviously pretty pivotal. And then um, after coming out to BCU and getting getting that first year kind of under my belt, then things started really taking off by my sophomore year. So what was that transition like for you coming now, your first year coming to America and playing the American game? Was it easier a little bit or was some of the immediate difference for you? 
Yeah, I mean, I had no idea what to expect. Um, the standard was high that, you know, you're playing against very athletic guys. Um, I think my my IQ, my soccer IQ, um, kind of helped me a lot. And obviously, um, I was, I'm was i a 6'3 target forward, so, um, you know, I think I was able to match that kind of physicality. The big thing was, that, you know, now we're doing two days in Richmond, Virginia, right. during August. Like, the heat was insane. Like, we don't... <laughs> I was just back there for a week, and the hottest day was probably 70 degrees, you know, no humidity, and now I'm playing 95 degrees twice a day, I mean, it was yeah. un- unreal, so um, it was. It really took me 12 months, I, I, I almost, a lot of people come out to the States and they leave after 6 or 12 months, and I was, um, I had a pretty average uh, freshman year, I mean, I started most of the games, I scored like 6 goals, which is like the team high, uh-huh. uh, but Basically, at the end of the first year, they told me, you know, n- not really quite what we were hoping for. So wow. They wanted to cut my scholarship in half and share it with a, another guy. Um, and that wasn't going to be impossible. It was like I had to be on a full ride or I wasn't staying. Right. Um, so they ended up keeping me. And then I think I, I scored double figures that season. And, you know, um, the next two years did, did better each year. So. That's awesome. So you said you were kind of thinking about going after your freshman year, going back home overseas. What kind of made you sway your decision to stay? Mostly because of the full scholarship. Yeah, I mean that was a, that was a big part of it. And I think um, I think after the first six months, I got more used to the way of life because it was big. You know, I, I can't imagine what it's like. For I remember we had guys from France, Costa Rica. Right. You know, this is where English isn't even their first language, and. Um, you know, even for me, it was it was tough. So you can imagine what it's like for those guys right. um, that, that are still learning English. Um, but after the first six months, I think, like Nate said, the the kind of the camaraderie and, and the friendships that you make, um, the locker room, um, really helped because basically, I moved out here and didn't have a single person here. But then I had, you know, we, the team becomes part of a family, and you kind of right. you have you know twenty two other guys that you're very close with straight away. So I think after the first six months, that that really helped me, um, and then, you know, my my goal was I, I wanted to stay and be successful. I wanted them to give me that full ride so I could prove myself the next year. Mm-hmm. So you get to college, you kill it all four years, you're CAA Player of the Year, second team All-American, you hold the record for most goals in a career with 44, record for most points in VCU with 101. In all four years, I'm pretty sure you were a leading scorer as well. <clears throat> You're lucky I wasn't out there, but <laughs> what were your thoughts kind of after college? Were you, were you trying to go to the MLS or back overseas? What was your thinking then? I, I think, again, I was a little bit naive because I didn't really know the system. I didn't know how things work. I didn't have an agent. Um, I didn't end up going to the MLS Combine, which in hindsight, you know, that was kind of annoying because I, I probably should have gone. You could have gone? American. So I, no, I don't think I, I don't think um, I, I I'm not really sure why I didn't go. Okay. It wasn't because I didn't want to go. I definitely would have gone. I just don't think I was invited or um, whatever it was. Um, so that that was kind of disappointing. But you know, I think the kickers were were interested. They'd been keeping tabs on me. Obviously, they're in Richmond. So ended up signing a. I was actually drafted by Rochester so they actually did a draft back then oh wow so Rochester had my rights um, and I was drafted I believe that my rookie season but I ended up signing with Richmond so 
Uh, played played there for two seasons. Did did pretty well. Scored some goals. You know, had a good rookie season. I think I scored twenty plus points um, my rookie season, uh-huh. and then um, my next year I had a good. I think actually I started off the season pretty well, then I went like twenty games without scoring a goal, um, <laughs> and then and then I ended up helping Richmond make it to the championship game. Of which I scored, I think, three goals in the playoffs against Rochester. How was that experience for you? Yeah, I mean that was great. Like, it's funny because you you slog it out this entire season, and then um, it comes down to these big games, these big playoff games. Right. And so being able to step up in those moments was was huge. You know, and even though I've gone a, a huge spell of the season without scoring, um, scoring in those games and, and helping the team get into into those big games was was amazing. So, right. Um, that that was that's always the nice part about I thought playing here is that even though you know you might not do so well you have ups and downs um, if you show up in those games it goes a long way. Yeah. So you said you were drafted by Rochester. Was there no MLS back then? There was MLS too. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay. The combine, so I wasn't drafted, or I I just don't think I was on on the radar at that point. Yeah. And then. After my second year, Richmond dropped down to D2. Mm. I wanted to stay at the highest level I could, so um, ended up, it was a, a choice between Montreal and Rochester, um, and, and Rochester purchased my um, my rights. I think it was about $15,000. So, Got you. Yeah. Was Bob the coach at the time? Uh, no, it was uh, Laurie Calloway, English coach. So... Um, he was a very passionate, uh, you know, wore his heart on his sleeve type coach. Yeah. Um, but very, very loyal, like, you know, very um, great guy, you know, was really good with the players. But, you know, he, he was no nonsense. Like, if you weren't getting the job done, you yeah. would know it. Yeah. So you played there for four seasons, right? <laughs> three, three. Three, seasons okay. Yeah. How was that transition from you going from Richmond now to Rochester? Um, I, I liked it a lot. Uh, the Rochester winters were absolutely brutal. It was 10 feet yeah. of snow. And, I mean, you you didn't want to go outside in the winter, but it was great to play in the summer. Um, my first year, you know, it was uh, Paytech Park, which the Rhino Stadium was brand new. They were getting over 10,000 fans to the games. You know, big rivalry with some of the Canadian teams up there. Um, so it was, it was really good, really good experience. And then there was kind of a coaching staff change, I think. And then kind of, you know, I had a pretty bad injury. I broke my jaw one season, which put me out for several months. That was probably one of the worst injuries I had. Would you catch an elbow or something? Yeah, it was um, It was actually Zach Scott from ah, Seattle. Yeah. Uh, I went for a glassing header, and he headed, like, the side of my face mm. and just snapped my jaw in two places. And so it was... Soup and smoothies for, like... It was, yeah, it was wired shut in six weeks. I, I blended up everything you could imagine. I blended up, like, a McDonald's cheeseburger, mixed uh, it with milk and drank it. I did Chinese food. Because wow. after a week of soup, I was like, listen, i got to do something else. Yeah. So, I, you name it, I blended it and drank it. That's crazy. Yeah. So then after Rochester, you go back home for a year. Were you homesick, or what kind of made you take the step back overseas? Uh, yeah, I actually didn't go back for very long. It was it was more like a couple of months. Um, I, I wanted to... I, I, I actually went back to Swansea, trained with Swansea City. Um, that was when Roberto Martinez was the club captain. He was still playing. Yep. Um, players like Leon Britton were there 
And so I, you know, was thinking about trying to get, go back and play. At, at the time, too, I also had a couple of young children um, and was married. And so um, it, basically the contract that was offered wasn't worth me moving my entire family over. Yeah. Uh, I also really did like the way of life here in the States. Um, so after kind of a brief stint, and I, I also played in the, the conference for Absolute United and um, for about a month and then ended up coming back to the States um, where I hooked back up with Lee and then signed a, like a three-year deal. Um, so it's kind of back back in Richmond, which has been been my home for most of the time here right. in the state. How did kids kind of play a role in your career? You said you didn't want to move your whole family over, but you also had a kid while you were playing. So how did that kind of affect your mentality in your career? Yeah, I mean, I, I had Samuel when I was really young. I think I was 23. Oh, wow. Um, so, you know, he's been coming to my games for a long time. Um, he was one of the biggest people that didn't want me to, to hang up the boots. Uh, but yeah, it definitely played a factor because, I mean, I, having a family, you know, I wasn't um, too interested in kind of hopping around different cities. I wanted to be a part of part of my kids' lives. And, um, you know, playing in, in this league where you, you don't necessarily make a lot of money, it's not like you have the luxury of, of just moving town whenever you want. So yeah. I think that was definitely, definitely a factor in why I've kind of played, you know, played 10 seasons in Richmond. Um, so 10 out of my 13 years were here in Richmond. So, um, you know, I, I had a couple of trials at a few. I, I went to a couple of MLS clubs. I was training at Dallas for a while in different places and um, didn't, didn't even end up going in for a preseason just because I just wanted to to have that kind of um, stability. And so you made why. the decision not to go to preseason? Yeah, oh, yeah, that decision. I just ended up just kind of signing a contract and staying in the USL. You know, I was getting to do what I loved, and I, you know, um, able to to have my family close by. So. Yeah. So you returned home to Richmond, like you said, and you win the USL championship. And I believe you played there for the next eight years, right? Seven, eight years. Yep. So eight, eight seasons. Yeah. At what point did you kind of realize and know that you were going to finish your career here there in Richmond? Yeah, I mean, I, I, after the three or four years, and now you're starting to get into your late 20s, um, you kind of think that. Um, I was still open to to possibly moving. You know, I think one of the things that hurts you, especially not having an agent in my entire, pretty much my entire wow. career, um, was, you know, the coach kind of knows you're, you're kind of tied down to the city, so now... You know, it gets into a bit of a battle about contracts and money and different things and right. fair compensation. So, um, I think I even went to the paper one year and yep. said, "You know what, I'm done," um, because it was it was frustrating because I felt like I still had a lot to give. Um, you know, I'd contributed, so you know that was that was a little bit frustrating for me, and I took to go to that length. Um, you know, I had some a couple of different injury issues, but. You know, I think I came back after all that and had one of my most productive seasons in my 30s where I scored 16 goals and helped, helped you know, win a, a regular season championship. Which yeah. Is, you know, um, one, of, one of my best accomplishments, probably. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you also had a scare. I remember, I think it was my last year, you, you thought you had kidney, at, kidney cancer at the time. Explain to us kind of how you even came about that. I believe it was in a training session one day, right? Yeah, doing a finishing drill and I made a near post run went for a diving header and I think Soya Gaffney 
Right, Callie whipped in probably a, a pretty crappy ball from the left side. <laughs> Um, so I, I went for a diving header and he ended up kneeing me in my lower back and it was, I mean, it was bad. Like I had, I could barely get up and kind of crawled off the field. Um, a day later, I'm in a lot of pain. Cherish sends me to, to get an ultrasound just to check my kidney isn't lacerated or something. Um, cause I, I had some blood in my urine. Right. So obviously it had a pretty big impact. Um, so they do an ultrasound. They say, no, the kidney's fine, but there's like a golf ball sized mass in your kidney. So you're going to need further diagnostics. So a couple of weeks go by, my, I'm still in a lot of pain. My back doesn't seem to be getting better, which was weird. So I ended up getting a, like a CT and an MRI. So I ended up having three fractures in my lower vertebrae. Mm. And, and then they say it's a vascular mass. And they, he told me with about 90% certainty that it was um, kidney cancer. Mm. So all of a sudden, my entire world is turned upside down. Um, obviously, huge support from friends and family and um, and the fans from around Richmond was great. From, from all over, actually, the entire league. Right. People back home. And then had the surgery, get it cut out a couple of weeks later. They go to pathology, and he says, um, you're lucky, you're, you're the one in ten that ended up being a, a benign mass. So in, in the space of, like, six weeks, I had this kind of whirlwind. <laughs> and then, so... I was laid up after the surgery. It was like a, you know, Da Vinci robot with the forearms that went in, cut, cut it out. Um, so I was, you know, laid up for about eight weeks, at which time my, my back healed. Mm-hmm. And um, came back right at the end of the season and, you know, got, got to step back on the field, which was great. And, um, you know, it was like a big moment to come back after something like that. So Yeah, bro, I'm glad everything was taken care of. So the main topic of discussion that we want to know is how did your company, Cinesports, begin? I remember, I think it was my second year in Richmond when Nate was on the team still, and I remember Delhi. I think you had like three long camera, three or four ca- long cameras that, at the time, I think you were just thinking of recording a training session or a couple of practices at the time. So talk to us, kind of how your company began. Yeah, I mean. It, um... Like you said, I was, I started just, I was coaching, you know, I saw, there was a kind of a, nobody was filming games or doing anything like that for the youth kids, so I was like, hey, there's, there's a high part, I'm going to go film some games and started giving some, like, analysis, use Dartfish to kind of give some analysis and show kids what, what was going on. Right. I bought a few more cameras, and then as that happened, Nate and I kind of became friends as he was playing on the team, and every road trip, he'd start asking me questions, and I'm like telling what I'm doing and you know as we became friends and told him more he's like hey you know why don't we you know kind of do a joint venture and then we ended up um kind of brainstorming and came up with Cinesports and um our first weekend I think was 2015 Labor Day weekend and we filmed an event and I think we did maybe 10 games and we were like wow we just filmed 10 games it's amazing right as it turned out we ended up doing like 150 games in a weekend so you know, but it, we had to start somewhere, and it was um, that's kind of where it was. So, yeah. Man, that's awesome. How's the company kind of evolved over the years for you guys? From then, your first year recording ten games and seeing how awesome it is to where you guys kind of are now. How's it evolved over the years? Yeah, I mean, you know, when we first started, like Deli said, we only started with a few camera systems. Um, realized pretty quick that there was a huge demand for it. Um, no one was doing it at all. Um, at least in the Richmond area. Yeah. So 
we bought more camera systems um, and then bought more camera systems. And so we were up to, what, 18 total camera systems. So, and these were like high pods. Like if anyone knows soccer filming, it's just basically cameras that are elevated 20 feet above the field to right. allow like depth perception. So it's just a better view rather than filming from ground level. Right. Um, so yeah, we were filming big events like Jeff Cup and Potomac. And like Deli said, we we're up filming like 400 games a month. So we were scaling out that model um, you know, pretty quickly and kind of figure out a way, how are we going to do this? Because it was so much work. I mean, it was like, I can't, I wish I had a GoPro and I could strap it to my chest and just like have everyone in the world experience what we did kind of for tournament weekends because it is, it's a lot of work. So yeah, go ahead and explain that kind of what it's like on a tournament day. Just to give anyone that's listening, like, perspective, like, to set up one of these cameras, it takes anywhere from, what, like, five to ten minutes? Yeah, we actually had a good competition because I was, I, I was known as the equipment guy, so I could get it up quicker than anyone else. <laughs> and I think I had the quickest time at, like, three and a half minutes, but typically it would take maybe, maybe about ten minutes. So. <laughs> I mean, like, so I remember the early days when you don't have a lot of, like, we didn't have managers, so it was just us two and, like, yeah. videographers, so... One thing to mention is that when you have 1099s, it's really difficult to manage people that aren't really part of your company. They're right. just kind of trying to make extra money. The money was you know, good, but they still have no loyalty. So it was really tough to manage that. So that was a learning lesson in itself. But like in the early days, we, I remember we were filming one of our first tournaments. It was like Capital Fall Classic or something. And little did we know you know we send out the the orders and like we're like getting an order and getting emails like oh yeah four hundred dollars is great then another email then another email we have like 20 games on the schedule for the weekend and we thought that was like holy crap this is amazing yeah so and keep in mind we're doing this while we're playing so like you know right. we're going to training we're just kind of going to a coffee shop doing this on the weekend all the filming mm -hmm. is on the weekend um, so luckily I wasn't in the 18 a lot so I could do a lot of the management <laughs> 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 um, but um, yeah so I remember the first like tournament and Deli actually was on a because he was coaching like think about it, he has kids like he's yeah. coaching like it was a lot and so um, he was away in Raleigh and so I had to had to film like or set up all these camera systems for this event and I looked at the schedule and it was like one game was at like 8am at uh, Ucrop Park and then another game was at like 8am at like Longdale which is like, 35 minutes from each other and then another game was like 8am at like West Creek and I was like holy crap like what am I going to do so I got up at like 4.30 in the morning like drove to the first complex set it up pitch dark freezing the, the, like, the camera systems are frozen yeah, and the, pole, the pole didn't even move because it was like ice I mean it was insane <laughs> Like, yeah. I'm 4.30 in the morning, and I'm like, this is crazy. That's so crazy. then I drove around, got everything up, like, everything was fine. But it's just, like, like that was, like, you know, that was one story of many that happened yeah. that was just kind of um, a lot of really, really good lessons about kind of what's needed to kind of, in the early days of when you're starting something. And right. it could be anything. It's like soccer, you you know, doing extra work. Like, you're going to the gym three times or two times a day or something like that. Mm -hmm. So... How would you guys get in contact with these tournaments? You guys were naming off a bunch of Jefferson Cup. Um, Richmond has a tournament as well and all these other tournaments. But how would you guys email these tournaments and kind of explain what you guys are doing? Or would they yeah, contact you? Yeah, I mean, we obviously have a pretty good soccer network um, from, from coaching, from playing. You know, Nate played in town. So, um, you, know, you know, a friend knows a friend. So we would just kind of reach out and then, you can research a complex and see what events come, and you can go to their website and say, hey, this is what we do. 
you know, check out a game, this is how we film, you know, the parents love it. Um, you know, they usually get a, a, a little kickback as well so they can make some money from it. So, um, you know, just building those relationships was is, is very important and we still have the same relationships today, which is great. Right. And so, yeah, that, that was kind of just using our, you know, our, our close network at first. How did... Yeah. Yep. No, go ahead. Yeah, just trying to, like, build out the list of tournaments that we had in our portfolio, in a sense. Because, you know, if you have a tournament year-round, then you can kind of... It's easier to kind of predict, like, how many games you can film and stuff like that. So that was kind of the model. Right. You just reach out and try to get those events. That makes sense. How did you guys have to learn the business world now for your company? Obviously, you're professionals for years before this, playing soccer pretty much your whole life. So the business kind of... the aspect of the world is secondary but now that you're heavily involved with your own company how did you guys have to learn the business world now yeah i mean one of the things we did was we actually we have a business coach or a business mentor Mm. he would meet with her once a month we still meet with her you know three years later right um and that that was very valuable because you know i think we both would come up with great ideas but having someone from the outside and also have that business background really helped you know, just little things like you might not know, you know, about needing an insurance certificate or mm-hmm. having a, a county business license or just little things that you might not think about. Yeah. Um, so that, that was really helpful. Um, and then, you know, being self-taught, obviously, you know, with, with the Internet available, there's, there's so much stuff out there you can learn through, through books, through um, we're really huge advocates now of listening to podcasts. Yeah. Uh, we have a couple of favorite people. Um, right now, Gar- Gary V is a big one. You know, I listen to him all the time. I'm listening to his uh, audio book, Crushing It. Smart. Uh, I'm not. I'm not getting paid or anything by Gary. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, it's it's so it's so valuable that stuff, and it's been a really really steep learning curve. But it's I mean, it's great. It's you know, um, it's I, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Like I, I love what we do. Yeah, I mean, I think like the. If you look at it from like a bird's eye thing, it's really the same as soccer. It's really the same as sports <clears throat> as far as like the principles at play. Like you work hard, you put in the work, like you work as a team, like it's all the same stuff. Um, then like you have a positive outcome. Right. The little things like like Delhi is mentioning, like how do you price your product? Like mm. how do you scale your like business? Like how do you like put together a prop like a PL? Like how do you project revenue for three years? Like right. that stuff is that's the hard stuff. So like that was the hard stuff for me because I never took a business class in college, neither the mm. Delhi. So I mean that's just like the hard work though like if you don't know how to do x then you have to look it up and you have to learn from people that can so in the early early days when i started i would reach out to people like on linkedin and just be like hey i'd love to you know chat chat with you get your advice and um just kind of feed off of people that have basically befriend them and learn from what they did and you know i I would hope that when i'm at that point or hope you know hopefully when we're at that point that we can also give back to people that are in our shoes because it's so hard, like, if you don't know what to do, like, it's, right. you can be working so hard, but what if you're going in the wrong direction? So right. it's like, kind of having that guidance and that um, reassurance that what we're doing is kind of the right thing is, is really, really valuable, so. Yeah, I mean, aside from consuming content, we have met a lot of people, um, especially local people that, 
you know, have been through and done successful things. Um, I mean, since since we've been in business, it's probably dozens of people that have, have helped us in some way. Wow. Um, and so, and then, you know, and then they recommend somebody and you meet the next person and the next person. So meeting those people um, has been great. And now we work at, you know, a building, it's called the Innovation Center um, wow. down on East Kerry Street. And we have mentors accessible and these are people that have sold, you know, companies for hundreds of millions of dollars. And, you know, last two weeks ago, we had a two-hour whiteboarding session about our strategy and everything. And, you know, little sessions like that are so valuable. Um, and so, you know, having that mentorship is, has been re- really huge. What's the Innovation Center? How did you guys kind of get involved in that? Yeah, I mean, it's basically like a building that Capital One built, um, in, in Richmond, and it's, gotcha. it's called Startup Virginia, and so basically any startup can can come and work there. And what's really neat about it is that oh, they wow. have dozens of mentors, like like Delhi said, people that have scaled businesses, sold businesses, um, lawyers, accountants, people that you can just book meetings with, yeah. like anytime for free, and just pick their brain really. Um, so it's it's you know it's been ama- it's honestly been one of the best things we best business decisions that we've made probably. Um, since we started, it's been a complete game changer because before we were working out of, uh, <laughs> a, a building that we have camera systems at and it was like freaking 30 degrees. It felt like in there, yeah, wow. I mean, it's, it just, it's, it's four <laughs> basketball courts. And so it does the place, doesn't, the place doesn't get heated. And so we were wrapped up in coats. <laughs> it was wow. crazy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we would, we'd sometimes we would just go to Starbucks and work yeah. Starbucks or somewhere where they had internet yeah. um, for a change-up. Um, but now we're in a much more professional environment. It's, it's really nice. That's what I was going to ask you. Are you guys in an office space now? You have your own um, office building? Yeah. Yeah, so the, wow. the place is, has six stories, um, and we have access to any of the first four floors. Um, so a lot of it is co-working space, and then there's private rooms, conferences, and, and things. So it's... Uh, and it's, it's been brand new renovation, so it's, it's really nice. Mm-hmm. So how is marketing and social media just as important for your company? I mean, for me, for example, I have my own Instagram, Facebook, Twitter account, and just social media in general is a great platform for, me, for any business to reach and extend their information to other people. So how is it important for your um, company? Yeah, I mean, just to give people some context, you know, like, what we do now is completely different from kind of what we've been describing for the past, like, you know, 10 minutes or so. So now we basically provide this video technology, which, you know, is an advanced sports recording technology that integrates into 4K surveillance cameras. So we sell it to professional teams, colleges, and youth organizations. So we've used – so now we're strictly, you know, B2B. We're not, like, selling to parents. Um, oh, we're selling true. to organizations that, like, if it's a youth organization, they're – you know, using it for their um, youth players and ultimately the parents if they want to log in live and watch. Um, but also, you know, for colleges, it's, it's strictly to colleges and then for proteins, it's strictly to proteins. So as far as social media, I mean, LinkedIn has been huge. Facebook, we, we work with a company here in Richmond that's um, Commonwealth PR that's been really, really good. Um, so they help a lot with our social media. Uh, what else? Uh, yeah, and then Instagram. <laughs> Instagram and Twitter, obviously. I mean, I think really uh, one of the things I learned from Gary Vee is creating is the least amount of friction between you and the end customer. Right. In our case, it could be a business. So if someone's surfing on Twitter, 
you know, and, and they see a post, you know, they may not be on Instagram. I mean, and then so basically if you put all your content out across all the mediums, someone's going to see it um, depending on, on what their kind of niche is. So um, that's kind of our goal is to put stuff out in as many places as possible. Obviously, being a B2B, business to business, LinkedIn is, is more suited for that. So we may put more energy into that platform and maybe a little bit less into, say, back in Instagram. So right. that's, I think you have to play around with and understand as a, as a business. So is Speedio now your sponsor? How did you guys kind of make that transgression into, you know, you're switching your roles with your company. As you just said, you're no longer doing gains per se. You're selling your videos and things to organizations. So how did Speedio come involved? Yeah, I mean, basically we're, we're partnered with them. The company is based in Sweden. And so we basically are the North American presence for them. So um, oh, okay. providing this technology, to, you know, in the States and in Canada. Um, and we obviously are going after soccer pretty heavily. We've got customers now in the MLS, in the USL, in the NWSL, in D1, NCAA. Wow. Um, Chelsea and Inter Milan are customers. Um, you know, so... It's, it's a, a really high-level technology, right? Uh, and we, you know, get, are getting some good traction. Um, the other nice thing is that we originally, our vision was to help youth athletes, and so we're still doing that because now a youth organization like here in Richmond, Futsal RBA, are using this week in, week out. Parents can log in and watch their kids train and play live, mm-hmm. even if they're out of town or out of state. Um, coaches can use it for player development. Um, and I think... We're starting to broaden our, our horizons and our goals. Um, you know, I think uh, when, when we did the announcement with Futsal RBA, Greg um, mentioned that, you know, the goal, you know, of the program is ultimately to help the USA win a World Cup. Yeah. And, people, and people laughed in the crowd. And I was like, if you actually think about it, um, you know, he was being serious. He wasn't joking. Mm-hmm. No, and I, I would like to think that if we can implement this technology from the, the top level of soccer all the way through the grassroots, that we could also factor into to having something like that happen. So um, it's just interesting how you go from just trying to film a few games to now, you know, you can set your goals like way up here. So right. I'll, I'll give you a little story. So I mean, it was about it was like January, February of 2017. Um, one of our tournament like. Brian Cook, who's a tournament director of, um, or executive director, sorry, of the CCL, he you know put us in touch with Spideo. He said, "You guys gotta check them out. Like it's unbelievable technology." I was wondering how you guys got in contact with yeah, them. Yeah, so he he was the mutual connection there. So we, we set up a Skype call. We didn't expect anything. I saw some videos. I was like, "This looks really cool." Yeah. And so when we when we did the call with one of their reps, um, you know, it was it was pretty eye-opening and we kind of looked at each other we're like look this is this is the, the future really um there's it's like binary like there's no way it's not it's going to be the old set of sports like it's going to be like the new like sports right, right. technology no cameraman needed like that type of stuff yeah um so when we first came across them we were like well we want to put these up at youth sports complexes all across the the country um and be able to do kind of what we do now or what we used to do sorry but kind of with more an automated better product like because we really believe in the technology i mean it's like it's unreal when you compare it to what we used to do right so yeah i mean it was it was a quick kind of tra- or i wouldn't say quick transition but we we 
made the decision relatively quickly that that was what we were going to do. And then it took us about like six to nine months to fully go like double down on it. I mean, we were turning away contracts for filming and, you know, we basically, yeah, went all in with it. So. Yeah, I mean, we actually we actually signed a contract with a DA to, to film for them. It was, you know, a $15,000 contract. Wow. And then uh, when we realized, you know, we're transitioning out, we had to call them up and say, listen, we're really sorry, but we can't fulfill this and yeah. you're going to have to find another company. And, you know, so turning down big contracts. And um, we also felt bad because, you know, we, you know, we signed a deal and we're supposed to kind of provide the service and, um the nice thing is that we might be working with the same company now a year and a half later, wow. providing the new stuff. So, um, you know, I think they kind of respected, you know, the way we went about it and that we did it the right way. Um, and that's one of the things is we've always tried to have that kind of integrity and, and good communication, which is uh, one of the reasons why I think we've, we've done pretty well. Yeah, I kind of agree with what you were saying a little earlier, Deli, about <clears throat> how you know, when you're at that meeting and the guy said your goals are to reach out to the next generation for the U.S. national team and things. And you think about it now with all these kids having social media, if I'm a kid that's under 10 and I can see my own practice and adjust and to fix my te- my technical abilities and just see different movements and things, this goes a long way. So I think you guys are doing a tremendous job for the next next generation and generation after that and years on and years on. So what are some of your goals with this company? Obviously, we just talked about affecting um, generations and different generations, but do you guys have any more goals that you guys plan on doing in the future? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean we can see this going like full circle um, from from providing it to professional teams, to colleges, to the youth. Um, you know, it would be pretty amazing if, you know, like an MLS team could scout a college player through the same technology and then that same college could then log in and watch live at a complex in California because yeah. they're scouting a kid that they want to recruit. So like that with that's basically kind of our vision is to have everything kind of go full circle, um, and being able to provide that under kind of one platform and being, I guess I would say responsible, but helping like it get there, yeah. um, helping helping allow like allowing players like an easier path to get seen, um, a cheaper way to get them to get seen. I mean to put things in perspective, you know your people were paying us anywhere from. 150 to 250 dollars for a single game, mm-hmm. like just one game. So like, you know, with this technology, I mean, it, it lowers the cost by like 10x or less. Like right. really, like a fraction of the cost. Right. And it's also and it's better. And it's better, yeah. I mean, our old product was basically a video file. There's your video. You can watch it now. You know, it's a panoramic view. You can pinch and zoom anywhere. You can draw. You can measure. You can clip stuff out. I mean, it's like it's it's it really is like a game changer. Parents and kids can do that as well at home. Yep. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's a game changer. My both my sons play at Newton where we have it installed for futsal RBA. Mm-hmm. And like the other day, they had a game night. I just went on and I tagged every goal, and then Samuel can come up and he just skips through and he can watch. He obviously doesn't want to watch the bad stuff. He wants to look at his nutmeg and look at his goals. But, you know, then he can post them on Instagram. Um, so, I mean, so, so they love it. Um, That's and awesome. You, you know, like, being a, like a pro player, like, you watch film. Like, you, yeah. you, I bet you come off a game and you're like, 
man, I played freaking amazing. And then you watch film, you're like, dang, I actually did it. Or right. like, you know, vice versa, like, oh, I played horrible. And then you come back and watch film, you're like, I actually did pretty well. Right. So like having like, and you know, like the perception of like a 9, 10, 11, 12, even 18 year old is so different from the perspective of actually what happened. Yeah. Having a coach that knows what they're doing and being able to show them that, you know, on like even at training, you can do this live at training or wow. like immediately back at the live gym. at training. Yeah, yeah. So like, imagine imagine a kid that can see like if it's a right back, for example, and he's not getting wide enough or not getting high enough, and you could or like a center back that's not stepping fast enough, and he's in his mind thinking, I am stepping mm-hmm. fast enough. But then you show him, and he's like, yeah, you're right, coach. Because sometimes, as a player, and the coach tells you something, you're kind of like, F off, like, I'm doing it right. Yeah. So, it's just a natural human response, I think. When someone yeah. tells you you're not doing something right, you just, you know, yeah. even if you're a coachable person, um, that you just kind of want to fire back and be like, no, it's yeah. not my fault, or, you know, so... Um, that's why the video kind of... Yeah. And I remember, I remember at VCU, we were big on film. So, I mean, it was like two or three hours film sessions. Wow. So you would know in the game, like, if you didn't track back, if you didn't <laughs> do X, Y, Z, you were going to get hammered, like absolutely hammered mm-hmm. at a film session. So I think the accountability factor as well is, is a key component, especially for the younger kids that kind of know. I mean, I know like Samuel, now that he knows he's on camera, he's trying to beg people and like... <laughs> You know, make sure that he scores a great goal so you can clip it out. So I think that's kind of cool um, in itself. Yeah, I think what you guys are doing is great. I mean, even today, for example, I'm training, getting ready for a game tomorrow, but there's still movements that I'd still love to see live. And as that, as you guys continuously progress and the more and more professional teams and players are actually... Because most of the games, they used to be on YouTube, but now they're on Watch ESPN. So the only thing we can really do is re-watch the game, but... Me, I'm a student of the game. I, I want to see my pres- position per se, literally the whole time, and see my mistakes and just learn from what I'm doing. So, And then yeah. the other thing you guys are talking about, too, with the West Coast and other regions throughout the country, there's no TV rights or anything in soccer. So all these co- college coaches and high school coaches have to go out to the West Coast and fly or you know, trans- have all these different means of transportation just to see these kids play. But what you guys are doing is just broadening the game for everybody throughout the country without traveling and they're still yeah. able to see these players that they want to see. So that's awesome. That's awesome. It's definitely going to continuously progress and go to even better heights. So yeah, what, we'll, have to, we'll have to install at your stadium. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> definitely. So what kind of separates you guys from other companies? I don't know if you guys have many rivals or anything, but what kind of separates you guys? I mean, obviously, we, being former college players and former pro players, we, we know the game. Um, that's that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Uh, the, the technology speaks for itself. Um, so typically when we do a video meeting or we go in and do a meeting for somebody, um, they typically are blown away. The, the question is how much does it cost? So, um, you know, it's it's just about trying to find um, a good fit for customers. Um, we've met some, you know, we're meeting, we're starting to branch out into other sports. We've had meetings with, some really high-level customers like UVA basketball and Alabama football, you know, like top programs from around the country. Um, You know, so it's it's been great to to meet some of these people and see their processes and and look out the whole whole thing. Um, So I I definitely think just kind of our our sporting background has been been really helpful. Um, And like we were saying about just kind of learning and, um, 
you know, just trying to become better at what we do every day, basically. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I mean, like, to, to kind of branch off that, I think that's really the biggest advantage we have. It's like going into a room and being able to show, like, if I'm showing the technology to a coach and I could show them actually how they'll utilize it, like, because we're former players, and, like, this is how I would use it, or this is how, you know, some people use it, kind of use soccer terms right. or sports terms. You can relate, like, you have some good banter about, like, some, like, there's times where I've had meetings where I, I played against that coach, like, as a player. <laughs> to talk about, kind of like what we were, you know? Yeah. Remembering the times when we played each other, and I think that that, like, building relationships and having, like, a network... Like, that's probably one of the biggest uh, things I've realized is that it's super, super valuable, um, you know, having trust and credibility and a good reputation um, because, you know, like, with social media, with, like, people talking, you know, the soccer world's so small. So yeah. having, a, having a good reputation, having good relationships with people goes a long, long way. Yeah, I think, you know, we also, we care about the customers. Like, we want you know, them to be successful, we want to give them the best thing, and we yeah. feel like this is the best thing out there, and, and you know, if it's going to help make the team successful and make the players better, and, and we fully believe in, in the product, it's, it makes it really easy for us to go selling it, because we, we, we fully 100% believe in it. Yeah, I agree with that. So kind of going off of what you guys said, you said you're branching out to new sports and things, what other schools or teams do you guys plan on reaching out to in the future? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've closed um, some schools. We closed Quinnipiac. That was, like, our first multi-sport uh, college. So that's mm. field hockey, lacrosse. <clears throat> um, we have a couple other deals that are soon to be closing. We can't really announce the, the schools yet. Of course. But some big names um, that will be field hockey and um, hopefully some basketball teams. So, I mean, the system is honestly perfect for all sports. Yeah. All- yeah. <laughs> It's just our nation, you know, because of our network, we've, we've kind of doubled down on soccer first. But, I mean, definitely we're going to be expanding to other sports. Right. As people, what we've realized is that um, when they when they see it, when the coaching staff sees it and they tell the other sports within the school, kind of people are really interested. And so it's, um, I mean, we've had demos with lots of sports, so it's, it's good. Yeah. And ice hockey is a big one, too. So yeah. Oh, really? We just closed an ice hockey customer and hopefully we'll be... Um, add yeah. more of those facilities. I feel like in all sports throughout this country, there's really no company or technology where you're recording and you're able to see practices or games in general. So I feel like you guys can affect all sports in, at all schools in all regions. So you definitely have a bright, bright future ahead. I'm happy for you guys. I'm glad this all has been working out. What advice do you guys have for current pros, future pros, young players who are up and coming and just guys, you know, as we get older, we're starting to think about our careers after soccer and things. So what advice would you guys have for some players? Yeah, I mean, for me, the big thing is, um, I think when I was a younger pro, there was things like I didn't, I didn't possibly do as well as I could have. Like, I don't think, you know, my diet, my sleep and certain things were as good as they could have been. Yeah. Now, you know, had I known some of the things I know now, I think I would have, um, try to improve all those things because you know how it's, it's kind of like you know you can get by and do still do a pretty good job mm-hmm. but it's like if I could have been 20% better if I could have you know if, uh, realizing how important sleep is realizing how important you know the gym and diet and stuff is and I, I think there's a lot of players that take that seriously but at the same time um, it was easy to you know sway away from that at times and um, I think 
even having a, a pretty successful career, that makes me wonder, could what more could I have done had I been a bit more professional? Because right. um, for me, it was kind of telling that one of my most productive seasons was when I really took that stuff seriously, and I was in, well into my 30s at that point. Um, you know, and so you know, I could have scored two, three hundred goals or <laughs> something. So um, that, that that's one thing that sticks out for me. So the question is basically advice for people that for that are still playing or kind of looking to current pros who are still playing, thinking about their careers after soccer, and you know, players who are in high school, middle school, just young players in general, college, current college players who are thinking about. Everyone wants to be a pro, but you know, reality hits you sometimes, and this game's a business. So, what advice would you guys have for them? Yeah, I mean, I think for the younger kids, like, that's the biggest asset you have is your youth. Like, I don't think, you know, just go for it until you're, like, I don't think, like, spend as much time as you need, like, chasing it because you're never going to be 21 or 22 again. Like, that's that's so young, and it's just like, I mean, I wish I was freaking 20 again. I'm only 26. Um, no, I mean, the biggest thing, the biggest lesson that I've always learned or that I've learned, um, throughout the years, just like, no matter what you do, it doesn't matter about anything. It could be like having a family. It could be like starting a business, being a pro, like whatever, like you get in what you put out. Like if you work your ass off, like you're in day in, day out, day in and day out. Um, and you put in the work and, and you put in the real work. Like you don't perceive that you put in the work. You actually like put in the work because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think what the issue is that people think that they're actually working hard when they're not mm-hmm. um, and my advice to that is look at someone like that's done what you want to do and emulate that so like if it's a pro like if it's a business leader like look at what they've done to get to where they have and then mm-hmm. just basically copy and paste into your life and mm-hmm. obviously it's not going to be the same it's going to be comp- like there's going to be little nuances um, but yeah, I mean, I think like people think if they go to the gym and they run a mile that they've worked hard, right. it's, you haven't done shit compared to the guy that's, you know, already been to the gym twice already. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I just to piggyback of that, like, you know, you saw Ronaldo's free kick today mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you know, the funny thing is like you, you watch the game, you see him score that, but people don't realize the amount of hours and work that went in behind yeah. him so doing true. that. And they just see him, you know, kicking it in. He's scored a great goal. But yeah. the, the amount of, of detail and, and practice that went into that, to making that moment happen, that's, that's what I think Nate's talking about is, you know, to emulate it. But you need to know what's happening behind closed doors. Yeah. Like the amount of work and sacrifice that went into that. Um, and so if you don't know that, find, like you said, find someone that did it and, and, and look at what, how they made it there. Look at the, the hours they put in. Um, and, and the sacrifices they had yeah. to make to make it happen. And also to like piggyback off that, like patience is like key. Mm. So like, don't just think if you work your ass off for a year that it's gonna happen. Like it take like really really good things take a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and you like that's just the truth. Like you're not gonna you're not gonna be like if your goal is to be in the MLS like. It might take you an extra. It might take you five years to get there, or whatever. Um, if your goal is to like grow a business to like a million, ten million dollar business, like it could take ten years. But like, you just gotta be patient with it. And as long as you kind of stay consistent, there's gonna there's gonna be days like, I mean, we have days where it's like a lull, and we're like, oh, like things aren't happening as quickly. And then all of a sudden, like like 
it'll be 2x that the next day or the next week. Yeah. You just kind of have to always remember to stay the course, even in the downtimes. Um, and that patient, like micro speed and like, like long-term patience is kind of like what we think about. Like every day should be working really hard for like in really fast, short bursts. Um, but then overall, like looking long, like big picture, like we know it's going to take time to get to where we want to be. So. Right. Yeah. Like if we get, if we get a, a, if we miss a deal or something didn't go through, it doesn't, it doesn't phase us. It's like, we know we're just going to keep working. We're going to close the next one. So yeah. it's like, you know, thinking, thinking long term. Yeah. That's a good mentality to have in everyday life. Pretty much. That's the perfect mentality to have. Always keep striving and keep going. I actually, I actually, I have a little turtle that I bring to work with me, and I sit him on the desk every day just to remind me, you know, those days when you're tired and you need a coffee in the afternoon, and I look at him and think, you know, it's it's the it's the it's the marathon, not the sprint. Yeah, hey, slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys coming on this show. I'm very happy for you guys creating your own business and hearing you guys' success. It's been awesome having you here on this sixth episode for me. I'll be sure to shoot you guys an email, a text message before, and let you know to hear this, hear this before I even release it on iTunes. But again, I thank you guys so much for coming on my show. Yeah, man, it's awesome. Yeah, all the best with the rest of your season, bud. I appreciate yeah. it. So hit the subscribe button below, footy fans, and stay tuned for future episodes. Thank you so much.